My name is Rick Renner, and this is the Basilica of St. John, just outside the city of ancient Ephesus. This is a very important location. This is where the Apostle John lived for decades of his life. He moved here with Mary, the mother of Jesus, early on, but at that time, the Apostle Paul was providing oversight to the churches of Asia. But when Paul died and the churches of Asia needed a new overseer, John stepped into that role. And John became the presiding bishop or the overseer who gave guidance to all the churches in Asia. And it was from here that John wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It was from here that John was arrested and he was dispatched to the Isle of Patmos where he lived for about 18 months. And on the Isle of Patmos, in a cave, which today is called the Cave of the Revelation, Jesus stepped into that cave and gave him the Book of Revelation. Finally, Domitian died, and John, though he was in his 90s, outlived Domitian. And he returned to the city of Ephesus, to this location where he lived until the end of his life. And when John died, he was buried here. And that is the reason why in the fourth century, they erected the Basilica of St. John on this location. Even early church fathers wrote that the church had been built on top of John's grave. It's quite an amazing story. Remember that John is the one who wrote in John 1:5, the light shined in darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. John had a revelation. The darkness simply did not have the power to snuff out the light. In fact, when he said darkness did not overcome it, it's a Greek word katalambano, means to conquer, to subdue, to tackle, to pull down. It was the equivalent of saying the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not have the power to subdue it, to take dominion over it, or to tackle it and take it down. John was a living testimony. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And John really is the story of someone who finished his assignment. He started his assignment, he remained faithful, and even though he dealt with surprise attacks, he returned home where he finished what God told him to do. And that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to faithfully finish your assignment. And that's what I'm gonna talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust. A message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I've been waiting for you. Today we're starting a brand new series and I'm so excited about it. We're going to be looking at Christ's message to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Those messages are recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now before we get to chapter 2, we're going to begin in chapter 1. That's what we're going to look at today. Then tomorrow we're going to jump to chapter 2. It's just going to be wonderful. You need your Bible for every one of these programs. You need a piece of paper, something to write with, because you're going to be getting a lot of information and revelation. But I want to tell you that I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It is a 10-part series based on these programs, but it comes with a study guide that is loaded with Greek words, definitions. It takes all the information in these programs and puts it on paper so you can study right along with the teaching. It's good for your personal life, perfect for a Bible study group. I really want to encourage you to order this today. And we're also offering my book called A Light in Darkness, Seven Messages to the Seven Churches. Look at this book. 
This book is amazing. This is a brand new format. I just got it myself. It is 785 pages and it is loaded. It is full color. All these photographs, illustrations, it causes the New Testament church to literally jump off the pages and come alive. It will answer your questions about persecution, about paganism, how to deal with hostile governments, what to do when society is changing all around you. It's Christ's message in this particular volume to Ephesus and Smyrna, and it covers Christ's message to John on the Isle of Patmos. This book is amazing. You know, it is just amazing. And I have to tell you the truth. When I wrote this book, I made a decision that I was going to write a book the way that I would want a book to be written. So I wrote this book the way that I think a book should be written. And it is loaded with a revelation. You will love it. It will make such a difference for your life. And we have all kinds of endorsements. For example, the man who was the former director of Ephesus, the real side of Ephesus. Listen to what he said. My shelves are filled with historical works on the subjects of the seven churches of Revelation, but not one of them compares to this book. That's amazing. Or Joyce Meyer says, Rick makes this ancient biblical message freshly alive for today. Prepare yourself to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Or listen to what Kay Arthur says. This book is a treasure. I've been to the sites of these ancient churches and taught God's word there, yet never have I possessed in one book the wealth of information that is in this book. Or Bob Yinian says, the quality and content of this book is equal to or better than any textbook I have ever used on this subject. Or my friend James Robinson says, within these pages, Rick Renner uncovers a wealth of biblical inspiration and historical truth. I guarantee you, you do not have another book like this one. This is really in a category of its own. And I believe it will be a blessing to you. So order it. If you want to understand what Christ said to the church 2,000 years ago and what he's still saying to the church today, right now, then you need a light in darkness. So we're offering this, and we're also offering my series, Christ's Message to Ephesus. But... Let's jump right into Revelation chapter 1. I hope you have your Bible. And the best place to begin is verse 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. That word John is very important. It's going to reappear three times. Verse 1, verse 4, and verse 9. But let's begin at the very first of Revelation 1.1. The very first thing it says is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you call this the book of Revelations, stop it. Because that is not the name of this book. You can abbreviate it and call it the Revelation, but it is not the book of Revelations. The real name of the book is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we find in chapter 1. John was on the Isle of Patmos. And more than anything else in the entire book, he had a revelation of Jesus Christ that really impacted him. And the book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. What does the word revelation mean? The word revelation is a Greek word, apokalupsis. It is a compound of two Greek words. The word apo means away. The word kalupsis means to be veiled or to be hidden. Just like if you took a veil or you took a piece of material and you covered something, and you can no longer see what is there because it is covered. 
But when you take the word apo and calypsis and compound them, they form the word apocalypsis. It means to remove the veil so that now you can see what is there. And I'm going to read to you directly from my notes. The word revelation, the Greek word apocalypsis, describes something veiled or hidden, but now is clearly seen. It is an unveiling, a gradual or sudden unveiling. The removal of a curtain that previously obstructed one's view. With the veil removed, what was once hidden is no longer concealed. It comes into clear view. And I want to give you an illustration of this word, apocalypsis, the word revelation. I was recently in Israel to film TV programs for you. And I came into my hotel room and settled in and never opened the curtain. I was there for more than a week and never opened the curtain, never even thought to open the curtain. And finally, on the last day, after being in the dark hotel room for more than a week, I had the idea, I wonder what's outside the window. So I pulled the curtains apart, and when I pulled them apart, I was stunned at the breathtaking view of the old city of Jerusalem just outside my window. It had been there all week. I could have seen it every day. But because the curtain was closed, I couldn't see what was there. But when I begin to pull the string on the curtain and slowly the curtains begin to separate, what was hidden behind the curtains suddenly begin to come into clear view. What was obstructed now became clear to my mind and to my eye. That's what the word revelation means. Maybe you've lived in a dark room about healing or you've lived in a dark room about the will of God for your life, and suddenly God spoke to you, and it was like the curtain was parted, and you could see God's will for your life was wonderful. You could see God's plan for your life was divine healing. Suddenly you saw what you could never see before. That's what a revelation is. And when you come to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, John is in a cave on the Isle of Patmos, and suddenly he has a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 1, he sees Jesus as he had never seen Jesus. Well, John knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He carried the memories of Jesus in his heart and in his mind. He remembered the Jesus that he walked with. But when you come to Revelation chapter 1, he sees Jesus like he had never seen Jesus. It's not a new Jesus. Jesus is not new. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in his humanity, when Jesus walked the earth, no one could see these characteristics of Christ that are revealed in Revelation chapter 1. It took an unveiling. It took a supernatural move of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit removed the veil, and when the veil was pulled out of the way, John suddenly saw Jesus like he had never seen Jesus before. I think that's so encouraging. Because John was in his 90s. He had been walking with Jesus for decades and decades and decades. And now in his 90s, he's still having new understanding. He's still having a new revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. There's always something new for you to see about the Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to pull the curtain apart and show you something new. But notice also in Revelation 1 verse 1, it ends by saying that it was signified by his angel unto his servant, John. That's very important, the name John. Then look at verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, in four verses, the name John has been repeated twice. 
Then if you would look at verse 9, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, it says, I, John. Now it doesn't just say John, it says I, John. The Greek word ego is used here. This word ego really draws attention to himself. It's almost as though John is screaming, hey, it's me. It's really me, I, John. Why was this so important that his name be repeated in verse 1, verse 4, and then really repeated with a strong emphasis in verse 9? Because at this moment, believers were suffering for their faith all over the Roman Empire. And John was the last survivor of the first 12 apostles. And when John wrote this letter, he spoke with great authority. It was good news when the believers heard that he was still alive. And so he says, it's really me. In case you've wondered if I'm still alive or if I'm dead, this is me. It's me in verse 1, me in verse 4. And let me make sure you understand what John it is. It's me. It's the real apostle John. I, John. And notice how he describes himself. Oh, it's so wonderful. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother. Now, in this moment, John could have said, I, John, the illustrious apostle of Jesus Christ. That would have been true. He could have said, I, John, the last survivor of the first 12 apostles, the legendary apostle whom Jesus loved. He could have said all of that, and all of that would have been true. But John was writing to people that were suffering. And John came down to their level. He came right to the level where they were and said, you and me, we're brothers. This word brother is the Greek word adelphos. The word adelphos was a medical term used to describe two or more who were born from the same womb. Later, it was used in a military sense to depict brothers in battles, a comrade, hence brotherhood. First of all, by using this word brother, the word adelphos, John says, you and me. We're born out of the same womb of humanity, what you feel, I feel. It also means we're born out of the womb of God, we're related in Christ. But in a military sense, it was almost like John was putting his arms around his reader saying, you and me, we're comrades. We're brothers in battle. We're in this together. We are fellow soldiers. That must have been so strengthening to them. He came right down to their level, jumped into the ditch with them and said, you and me, we're brothers in what we're facing in life. Then he supports this in his next statement. He says, I, John, and companion in tribulation. That word companion is a Greek word, soon, koinonas. It's a compound of two words. The word soon, which is a connector word, it makes you a partner with someone else. It comes from the word koinonia, the second part of the word, which means to have something in common or something that is mutual. But when you compound the two words together, it forms the word soon koinonas, which is, listen careful, a companion, a joint partner, two or more who mutually share the same person, principle, place, problem, task, or circumstance. John says, you and me, we're in this deal together. I'm your brother. I'm your comrade. I'm a fellow soldier with you, and I'm proud of you for slugging it out. You and me together, we're fighting this battle together. We're not giving up. Then he says, and I'm your companion. This word, which means literally you and me mutually, we're sharing the same experience. The ordeal that you're going through, I'm going through as well. You and me together, we are real partners. And then he says, we are partners in 
tribulation. The word tribulation is the Greek word thalipsis. That's the word used here in verse 9, but it is a very favorite word used in Paul's epistles. It's used so regularly that we know exactly what this word tribulation, the Greek word thalipsis, means. Listen careful. The word thalipsis, the word tribulation, means affliction. It can be translated tribulation or trouble. It describes great pressure, a crushing pressure, a suffocating pressure, a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze. What in the world were these believers experiencing that John says we're all going through a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze? They were under persecution at the hands of the emperor Domitian. Domitian was against the Christian faith. He was slaughtering believers for their faith. And John himself had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And now John says to his readers, if you feel you're alone, or if you feel like you're dealing with something so difficult, understand you're not in this by yourself. I am your companion in tribulation. If you're going through a suffocating time, guess what? So am I. What in the world was John going through? Well, John was in his 90s already by this time. He had served Jesus faithfully. He had committed no crime. He was a good man who had served the body of Christ all of his life. It appears that one day there was a knock on his door while he was living in Ephesus and he was arrested by soldiers who discovered that he was there, the last surviving member of the first 12 apostles. Domitian wanted him. So he was transported to the city of Rome where he stood trial before Domitian himself and Domitian ordered him to recant his faith. John refused. So Domitian ordered that he be thrown into a vat of boiling oil. This was regularly used by Romans when they wanted to terrifically torture someone. They thought it would kill John, so they threw him into the vat of oil. But when they drug the hook through to drag his skeleton up, John was on the hook, alive, unscathed. At least that's what we're told by early Christian writers. And early Christian writers tell us that Domitian was so terrified by this man that had been miraculously spared that he said, get him out of my sight, exile him to the Isle of Patmos. So John was transported back to Ephesus, and from Ephesus he was put on a ship, and he was sent to the city, uh, to the Isle of Patmos. Well, Patmos was a horrible place. It was horrible. It was barren. It had no trees. It only had one very small source of water, not much natural spring water there even. And when John was offloaded onto the Isle of Patmos, he had to fend for himself. He had one set of clothes. He had no food, had no water, had no place to live. He scavenged the island looking for a place to live, found a cave. Today it's still there. It's called the Cave of the Revelation. And that's where he took up habitation on the Isle of Patmos. He is going through a very difficult time. And now he writes to his readers and he says, hey, it's not just you. You're not the only one going through hardship. Me too, Thalipsis. I'm going through a horribly tight, life-threatening squeeze on this island, in this cave. But John doesn't give up. He is not surrendering. He is not giving up. Notice what he says in verse 1. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. Let's look at that word patience. That word patience is a very bad translation in the King James Version. A better translation would be the endurance of Jesus Christ. 
It's the Greek word hupomene, and listen to what it means, and I'm reading you directly from my notes. This word hupomene, here translated patience, means to remain in one spot, to keep a position, to resolve to maintain territory gained. In a military sense, it pictured soldiers ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of opposition, to defiantly stick it out regardless of pressures mounted against us. It is staying power, hanging their power, or listen to this, oh, this is fabulous. This word patience, the Greek word hupomene, is the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up, refusing to surrender to obstacles, and turning down every opportunity to quit. It pictures one who is under a heavy load, but refuses to bend, break, or surrender because he is convinced that the territory, promise, or principle under assault rightly belongs to him. Or let me quote again the middle part of that definition. It is the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up, refusing every opportunity to surrender to obstacles, and turning down every opportunity to quit. John says, that's me. I don't care what the devil does to me. I don't care whether the devil has sent me, or even if I'm living in a cave, abandoned on an island in the middle of the sea, I'm not going to quit. I'm passing the opportunity to give up. He said, I'm experiencing the patience of Jesus Christ. This was supernatural. And for anyone who decides to remain faithful, they can receive this divine endowment of endurance that enables them to survive and to thrive in any circumstance. Wow, that is amazing. And listen to what else John says in verse 9. He says, I was in the isle that is called Patmos. I love this word was, the Greek word genomai, which in this particular case describes something that could have never been predicted. A better translation would be, I was in the isle that is called Patmos, or through a strange series of events I, that I could have never anticipated, through a strange series of circumstances that I could have never predicted, I came to find myself in the isle that is called Patmos. What were those circumstances? John was arrested for his faith. He didn't anticipate that. He certainly did not anticipate that he would be thrown into a vat of boiling oil, survive it, and as a result, be exiled to the horrible Isle of Patmos. But that is where John is. And listen to what he says in verse 10. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This word was, in this case, the Greek word genomai, means to transition from one realm to another. It is a sudden or surprising change of condition. Again, something that takes you off guard or by surprise. John says, I didn't expect this either but I suddenly found myself transitioning from one realm into another realm. I was in the spirit. In the spirit would be better translated in the spirit realm. It is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but to the spirit realm itself. So here John is in a cave, abandoned by society and by the world, but not abandoned by Jesus. And the moment of the worst difficulty Suddenly, supernaturally, he finds himself transitioning into another dimension. He finds himself in the spirit realm where he has a revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're going through. You can transition into a spiritual dimension where God speaks to you and tells you exactly what you need to know. 
And in verse 11, listen to what Jesus said. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. But the first church he speaks to is Ephesus. And that's where we're going to begin when we come back. I'll see you in just a moment. The Bible comes to life like never before with Rick Renner's book, A Light in Darkness. Step into the world of the New Testament as Rick Renner transports you to the ancient cities of the early church, revealing the relevance of Jesus' messages to the church then and why those messages still resonate for his church today. Rick reveals insight into the ancient world and the disturbing realities the early believers faced as the church began to flourish in a pagan world with unsurpassed detail fascinating insights and historical context you'll have a greater appreciation and understanding of scripture and how you should interpret it for today this beautifully bound 800 page full color biblical resource can be yours for 80 dollars features on location photography with added artwork and illustrations to enhance the in-depth scriptural teaching that makes the new testament come alive when you call or go online today you can also get christ's message to ephesus an in-depth 10-part teaching series that delves deep into the message Jesus gave to the Ephesian church. The church of Ephesus was a successful church on the outside, but they had drifted from their first love of Jesus. Available in digital or physical format starting at just $20. Rick uses this teaching series to remind you to return to your first love of Jesus. A light in darkness and Christ's message to Ephesus. Call now or go to renner.org to order. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, John hears these words of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Then Jesus lists the seven churches. Unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, Pergamum, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. But the first church that Jesus addresses is the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the biggest city, and it was the biggest church in the entire region. And when we come back in the next program, we're going to see what Christ had to say to the church of Ephesus and what pertinence it has for you and me today. It is amazing. You do not want to miss what I'm going to tell you about Christ's message to Ephesus. It has everything to do with you. And I'm offering you my series called Christ's Message to Ephesus. It is a 10-part series based on these programs. You can order it in many different formats. It comes with a wonderful study guide filled with all the points in these programs, all the Greek words, all the definitions. It's perfect for your personal study or for study with a group. And we're also offering my book called A Light in Darkness, 785 pages. It is a treasure. It is a wealth of information about the early church, what they were going through, and what it all means for you and me today. We're the church of the living God, and today the church is under assault. We need to know how to deal with it, and you'll find answers in this book. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together today and open the book of Revelation. We thank you that you want to give a new revelation of Jesus to us, and by faith we declare that we have it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with me. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its power in your life today. 
and I'll see you in the next broadcast. Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the Word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity.